0: Okay, there we are. Thank you. Uh, we lost the clip on the b- uh, battery pack of that thing, and it's sliding all around. You know I wrestle that thing like a rodeo clown wrestles a bull or something, but uh, uh, it's the bane of my existence, that earpiece. So we're just going to do it old school today. Can you hear me in the back okay? Uh, Darlene, Gail, you guys, you K-Staters back there, or k whatever you are. God, <laughs> God love you. Uh, I'm just giving you a hard time. All right, I invite your attention this morning to Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3. If you're visiting with us, we're in a series in a series, if that's the right phrase. We started through the book of Mark in uh, January, Uh, Mark 1-1, and we've been working our way through, and we're kind of in a smaller series right now through the book of Mark chapter 3, looking at the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. And so just to give you a preview of where we are, we have three weeks left. This week is Matthew Uh, next week, we're going to do three of the lesser known ones in one sermon, just some life lessons that go back to the scripture. And then on the last week of September, we're going to look at Judas. And I encourage you, uh, be here every Sunday, but especially be praying for that one with Judas, because it's very eye-opening as we do. And as we get into October, I want to remind you as well, we're looking at the 500th year of the Protestant Reformation, which may not seem like a big deal, But God, providentially, as he does, gave us five Sundays. And there's five things that we'll look at by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, as we sang, uh, for his glory alone and scripture alone. We'll look at those in October. And Aaron, who read the scripture, wherever you are, Aaron, uh, he will be preaching the last Sunday as well. So Mark chapter 3 and verse 18. You know, as we begin this, uh, I'm going to connect this point, but I think this is a great illustration of what not to write at your obituary. You ready for this? It's a story told of an old lady who never married, and she requested in her obituary as well as in her will at her funeral that there would be no male Paul Bears, and this is why. In her handwritten request, she said this. She said, they wouldn't take me out while I was living, and I don't want them to take me out while I'm dead. So. What's the point of that? It's a good laugh nonetheless, but the point of that is this. That's how many people see the church of Jesus Christ. Many people see the church of Jesus Christ as a way to get what they want in this life to whatever degree that is, but when it comes to death, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Don't let them touch me. Let me do my own thing when I go out into eternity, but I'm grateful the church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ is not that way today. I mean, guys, the scope of the size of the church is amazing. The church is not dying. The church is growing. I hope you know that. Not only numerically across the world, but also in scope and, of course, in size. There are over 1 billion Christians who claim the name of Christ today. That's not a dead church, although there are areas of health that we need to address, even within our own ranks. That Worship in some 3.7 million congregations, predominantly in USA, Latin America, Australia, Philippines. Uh, In Asia, as you know, it's growing by leaps and bounds, the underground Chinese church. Uh, The Russian church is growing by leaps and bounds as Putin, uh, Putin tries to stamp out and make it illegal to share the gospel. There are over 1.5 billion print Bibles today. doesn't sound like a funeral, does it? 1.5 billion Bibles, that doesn't include your smartphone apps, which if you don't have one of those on your smartphone, get one. If you don't have a smartphone, get one too. That's a good thing as well. But the Bible is the runaway bestseller since 1815, and they do keep stats of this. Over 5 billion Bibles have been printed and distributed around the world. That's amazing. But there's still a need. There are over 5.9 million copies of books about Christianity, individual copies, authors have written since the 1800s. On a worldly basis, there are over 2.4 billion listeners to Christian TV uh, alone across the world. And yes, we need to take that with a grain of salt, especially Channel 16, local TBN. But one thing you need to know is this, the church is not dead. The church is very much alive. And Jesus reminds us of that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Very familiar verse. Jesus said, on this rock, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So many people treat the church and its disciples and its message like that lady who says, look, they didn't help me now, don't help me then. Don't do this for me now, don't help me then. But friends, the size and the scope of the church should encourage us today. How did this happen? Did it happen because some religious people got around and said, let's do this? No. In Jesus' time, they killed him for that. What what about the Roman Empire? I mean, didn't the church unite politically with the Roman Empire at some point under the first Christian, uh, you know, uh, emperor? And didn't they do that? No. Greek culture laughed at the church. So how did it start so well? Well, Jesus did it. And because of that, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to remind you that the church started with Jesus commissioning out 12 ordinary people. Not extraordinary, ordinary. And these people, God left in charge of the church proper with his divine spirit working through them to his glory. A little scary, isn't it? Have you ever left a classroom full of preschoolers by themselves and seen what's happened? Especially if you left some goodies in the middle. Uh, It's it's crazy. God left 12 people. The church is not dead. In fact, these were untaught, untrained people. They had more sweat than they had pizzazz and, and 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 polish. They were not well connected. They were not well wired. They were not elitist. They were not influential. These are whom, though, the Lord chose to entrust his church. Wow. And that's a good reminder for us as we look at our big idea today, as we look at Matthew. That those God uses the most are frequently those he places in the wilderness first. God often puts you through the ringer before you're pristine, ready to be hung out to dry for his glory. And today we come to Matthew. If God can use these men as weird and as fallous uh, as they were by his grace, friend, he can use you, he can use me. Whatever it is, I am not. I wish to serve him. Neither were these 12 either. They had not all their ducks in a row, but they didn't have anything to bring to the table except what God graced them in being sold out, faithful, and truthful to the gospel. And God took them and turned the world upside down through them. And today I want to look at one of them that you know well, Matthew. You say, how do I know Matthew well? Because he wrote a book, right? Right. He wrote the largest gospel in the New Testament, Matthew did. And I want you to see three things about him. And to be a good Baptist, there are three S's. You ready? We're going to see three pictures of grace in his salvation, in his submission, and the biggest point of all, his silence. And God is still in the business, church, of calling ordinary people, me, you, all of us, to do extraordinary things to reach this world. So be encouraged. God is looking for people just like you and just like me not to make a name for ourselves like Babel, but to make his name more glorious. As Malachi 1111 says, his name will be known among the nations. All right, let's read Mark chapter 3. If you have your Bible this morning, Mark chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 13. If you want to join me in standing for God's word, if you're able this morning. Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. The church is not dead, but very, very much alive. And we've read through these verses Almost ad nauseum at this point. But I want to remind you of where we're going this morning. Verse 13 of Mark 3. And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Remember, that's an eternal, divine, sovereign summons. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve whom he named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, or Simon the Zealot, your translation may say. And last, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. This world will think you're out of your mind if you love Jesus the way it says you should love Jesus. Today, I want you to see Matthew, a guy you know a book about but probably don't know a lot about. And again, as we do this, church, I want to remind us we're not just trying to get check marks from their lives. But everything goes back to being more like Jesus. We don't want to emulate Matthew necessarily. We want to emulate the God of Matthew in Christ. Let's bow our heads this morning as we pray. Father, as we come to this time, we are gratefully reminded of how dutifully we need to be praising you for all that you've done. While we were yet sinners, at just the right time, not a moment early, not a moment late, Father, but at just the right time, you died for us. Father, you've gathered our church here today we know we have many traveling many serving in other places this morning but i thank you that you brought exactly who needs to be here today for your glory speak through your word lord not my words but yours for your glory father thank you for each one there's many needs in our church you know them well father we give them to you be with us today in jesus name and god's people said amen you may be seated thank you well, as we come to Mark chapter three, I want you to see, as we've often started with the study of the uh, how these people came to Christ. That's always a very important thing to look at. And you saw there in Mark three 18, we've gone through all the disciples, but Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon and Judas. But you see there that here in Mark chapter three, his name is Matthew. You, that's how you know him. But I want you to take just one page, perhaps, and go back to Mark chapter 2. Would you turn there with me? Mark chapter 2. And I want you to go down uh, to the verses that we preached through several months ago to verse 13. Mark chapter 2 and verse 13. And this is what it says. He, that is Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he, again, Jesus, was teaching them. And as he passed, he saw Matthew. No, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose up and followed him. There is some big change. One chapter in Levi's life. What is that change? Guys, he got, can I, can we throw out all the words? He got regenerated. He got saved. His world got racked upside down. He got in, turned inside out, upside down for God's glory. He got saved. Isn't that interesting? How do we know he got saved? His name is Levi. But when you read in Mark chapter 3, his name becomes what? Matthew. That's not just a small point. Matthew means the gift of God, and it's a, it's a Jewish tribal name. It's, he's from the tribe of Levi. and You know this, most of you. The tribe of Levi was the priestly tribe. Theirs were the inheritance of the Lord. While all these other tribes got land and money and all this stuff, the tribe of Levi, the priest, the, the Lord was their inheritance. And they were set apart to God and his glory. In fact, that was written on their forehead, set apart to God. And so Levi becomes Matthew. That is no small thing. And you see there that he's called the son of Alphaeus. Now, if, you, if you've been reading through this list, you know that James is also called the son of Alphaeus. Does this mean they're brothers? No, probably not. Why do we know that? Well, Simon, Andrew, James, and John are brothers, and that's mentioned, but nothing here. Just a common name. Both had fathers of the same name. But you see here in Mark chapter 2 that he was sitting in a tax booth. Guys, this was, he was an IRS agent. Uh, we have a couple CPAs in our church, and I know uh, Amy and I were just talking about this for service. The extensions for the, the tax service are coming up. We we're joking about how people have not even turned in their stuff six months after being late for their stuff. And yet here is Levi, so-called Matthew later, where he was collecting foreign goods. But Jesus rocked his world. Jesus said one thing to him. He said, follow me follow me. And every week we've been reading this invitation and this gospel invitation, as you know, in the simplest form is come, believe in me, die to self and believe in me. And what it is to be saved is to rightly respond to this. What Paul or or sorry here, what Jesus is saying to Levi is leave the world behind, take a step of faith, come follow after me and you will be saved. And notice what chapter 2 says there. It says, and he got up. Literally in the Greek, he threw everything down. He walked away from his former life. Can you imagine Bill Gates sitting in, what is he, Microsoft? Is he still the richest man? I think he's close to it. He's still one of the richest guys. Jesus, in his time, coming up to Bill Gates and saying, follow me. And he walks out of the biggest, richest business in the world or one of the biggest, richest business and follows him never to go back. People would scrutinize that, wouldn't that? They, they would say, are you sure he's real? Are you sure he's legit? I don't know. Let's let let's see the fruit of his life. But right here, Levi gets saved. He turns to Christ. And that is something that all of us have to remember. Look, I know there's a lot of evangelists that will have you write the time and date you got saved in the back of your Bible, and that's not a bad thing. But I want to remind you first off here as we just apply this, that even after we have followed Jesus for years, he still says, follow me. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful for a couple things? First, that God doesn't leave you where you are. He takes you and grows you and matures you even when you don't want to be grown, matured, and taken. And he says, follow me. Can you imagine if God said, no, I want no one to follow me. I'm going to create everyone and destroy everyone in hell forever. What kind of God would that be? Thankfully, we have a God that has extended his invitation of salvation in Christ so much that when he says, follow me, that is open to whomsoever will. But at the same time, he knows those who will. Have, can you remember, friend, where you were sitting, perhaps laying, perhaps standing, when you came to know Jesus Christ, do you remember that? You could probably recount it just like it was yesterday, even if it's been 40, 50 years. Have you come to Jesus and still do you heed that call? Follow me. What does this mean? It means that as Matthew did, he you now have a new master. You now have a new life, a new direction, a new passion. And the only fitting thing that you can do is to walk with Christ for everything that he's given you. And that's exactly what he did. Go back to Mark chapter 3. You'll notice there, Mark chapter 3, verse 18, there's no indication by Mark who's writing this that Levi is his name. It's Matthew. He's changed. But can you imagine what a stink Levi would have been in the nostrils of his family? To be a tax collector, oh my, what a weird thing that is. But to be a religious tax collector when you're a prophet or in the family priestly line— we don't have any idea what it would have been, but for him to change the tune so quickly was something divine and supernatural only God himself could do. We don't know if, 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 if Jesus gave him a new name like Simon was to Peter, but one thing we know, he came to Christ. He came to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, your life truly, truly changes. We are born again, and Amy will put this up, we are born again once, never twice. That's why the Bible teaches regeneration, not re 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 regeneration. In other words, we've all known those people. Maybe you've lived this experience where they, they walk an aisle on a Sunday morning and they pray to receive Jesus, and six months goes by, right? Life is good, and, and then suddenly, about three months in, they start to totter a little bit, and they come back six months later, and the church is energized again. Oh, Joe Bob has got saved. Wait, what? Joe Bob got saved again? I thought Joe Bob was already saved. And we forget that regeneration, being born again, is a one-time process. Look, as much fun as it would be to be an adult to go back in your mama's womb, you can't do that, guys. Spiritually speaking, too, that's why the Bible makes such a clear line in the sand that if you know Christ, there is a difference about you. There is a, a difference in how you act and how you talk, not moralistically speaking, but spiritually speaking, that impacts your morals. Let me just go through some scripture with you and as your pastor, I apologize, we don't do this more often. We need to look at, script. I often quote these scriptures, and, and we'll get back to that third point here in a second. But I want to just walk through some verses that remind us how we know Christ is our Lord. James 1.17 says this. It says, new birth doesn't come from us, but as it says on the screen, every good and perfect gift comes down from where? Above. We're reminded new birth doesn't come from us. 2 Timothy 2.25 says this. It says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of faith. Repentance is a gift. If you're a Christian and you have the ability to repent, praise God for that. We bring no capacity to repent to the table. God must do the work. Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 8, very familiar to you. We are saved by grace. You've been saved through faith. And it's not your doing, it's a what? It's a gift of God. If we can only get this, it's not just the grace, but the faith that is a gift. Saving faith is a gift of God. Romans 5, 16 says that it says this. And the free gift is not like the one of the man's for the judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following brings trespasses brought justification. We can't declare ourselves righteous As much as it would be great for you to take that traffic ticket, I'm sure you never get traffic tickets, right? Walmart has it for $79. We saw that yesterday at Walmart in case you need a little lawyer advice. But if you get a traffic ticket and go there and say, you know, I wasn't speeding, and they bring up the dash cam video that shows you doing 70 and a 55, oh, man, I'm caught. You would love to declare yourself righteous, wouldn't you? Well, I didn't speed that with someone else, but that's your license plate over there. Is that not your car? Is that not your Mizzou decal over there? Is that your KU decal? That's your car. You would love to set that judge straight, but the evidence says otherwise. Friends, we can't declare ourselves righteous to God any more than we can declare ourselves righteous when the evidence is against us. Romans 6.23, you know this well. The wages of sin of death is is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. Acts 2.38 tells us this. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is a gift. And one more. John 4.10, as Jesus talked with the woman at the well, he said this. He said, you'll see it on the screen. If you knew the gift of God and who gave it to you, he said, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Friend, do you know that today? Your salvation was bought and given to you as a gift. What a grace thing that is. You know what Matthew's name means? It means gift of the Lord. His salvation was a gift. His regeneration, his repentance, his saving faith, his justification, his Holy Spirit, the well of living water, everything was a gift. That's why the last point I want you to see is this. Even the faith I need to receive God's grace is a gift of God's grace grace Whew. friends that that should shake us shouldn't it we brought nothing to the table but god gave us his everything we brought nothing to save ourselves but god saved us not good works but a gift no one qualifies no one's entitled to it no one can claim it but we all need it and it's kind of like that 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 mama who was in the midst of one of the worst days of her life and you know, you probably have one of these things floating around your your, your house. We have several, and when we lose them, it's hard to find them. Seth is very particular about a couple that he has, and if you don't have them, you know how it goes. And she, this mama, Clara, her washing machine had broken down. Her telephone had quit, stopped ringing. Her head ached, and the mail carrier brought her a bill that they couldn't pay at the time. And almost to the breaking point, she lifted her one-year-old into his high chair, leaned her against the tray, and began to cry. And without a word, her daughter took that pacifier out of her mouth and put it in mama's mouth and stuck it right there. Sometimes the most simple helps are the best helps. And friends, in a sense, in a very odd sense, but sovereign sense, God did that to us. When we come to the point of realizing that we can do nothing to console ourselves, save ourselves, do anything to get rid of ourselves, God plugs our mouths and says, let me take care of that. I already did. It's on the cross. Matthew was useful because he took his salvation seriously Do you. That's the ultimate question. Let's go on to number two. So he was saved. That's the first thing you need to know. Matthew was saved. He went from Levi to Matthew. God called him out of that. But now I want you to see the fruit of this. You know, it's great to plant a tree in your yard, but if it doesn't bear fruit, it's probably not worth much anyway uh, as it is. Go to back to, to Mark chapter three and look at his name. Now, this is very significant. We've talked through this before, but I want you to notice this. Mark chapter 3 lists him as number seven on the list. Number seven on the list. You'll recall that this is the second grouping of the disciples, that they're in blocks of four, uh, Peter, James, and John. And then we start with Philip, and then we get to the last there that we'll get to next week with James being the last head of the four. But Matthew is always in the middle. Isn't that interesting? He's always in the middle. This is a stretch for him. This was the guy that called all the shots. He had his own tax business. We'll get there in a second. But he was used to running his own show. But that was before he got saved. Before he got saved, it was all about him. But now Matthew shows us that things have changed. I want to give you a little bit of history that's going to relate to this, so bear with me for a second. But back in those days, there were two types of tax collectors. I'm going to kill these words Graduated seminary, done all that, but still I can't pronounce them well. So here my uh, bad Missouri accent, kill these Greek words, amen, and you can live with it. There were two types of tax collectors. There were the gabi, G-A-B-B-I, gabi, And these were the general tax collectors. These were the small crooks, if you will. They, they took property tax, income tax, poll tax, and they had a small hand to reach in. It was a good small side business wasn't a mainstay, but it was a side business. That's not who Matthew is. He's not a Gabi tax collector. But he is, and I'm going to kill this word here, he is a Mokati uh, tax collector. These are the guys that got the big business. These were the guys that knew how to shake and bake how all these things went down. They collected duties, imports, exports, all the items that were bought and sold, and they set up those nice little tax booths. I think today we call them... uh, um, uh, road, what do they call those, toll booths? Isn't that what they call them on the roads? Have you ever taken the Kansas Turnpike? Natalie and I started dating almost 10 years ago and the price has gone up like $3 away through Kansas. That's why you take Missouri and go around to Oklahoma is the best way. But this is where the big money was, you see, because Matthew was here. He, in these makate, M-O-K-A-T-E, if I'm spelling it correctly, there are two ones. There's a big makate and a little makate. You got that? Big and little. The big ones aren't what they sound like. They bought their mick franchise from Rome, and the Rome's the Romans said you have a right to tax the Jews, and they would rent it out so they wouldn't have to get dirty with the work. They were exposed to public shame, but they were no more hated than than any other tax collector. These big Makate, they were like the people who set up uh, uh, a McDonald's on every corner, you know, in in America that pretty much happens, but. They would charge Rome. Would say we need five dollars on every head. They would charge ten and make five dollars on every head of every good that went through. As long as they paid Rome, they could charge whatever they wanted. But Matthew was a little makate, a little makate. Not little and rich, but that he did it himself. He didn't franchise it out, and there was no sense of shame. Can you imagine? You are known in your community. You are known in your community for being of the Levi, the, the priestly side, and you're in it for the money. You are as hated as guts. Can you imagine that Thanksgiving dinner? Hey, what'd you do today? I stole $600,000 from people coming through. They hated tax collectors. They hated the fact that people like Levi were stealing the money from the very people that he was supposed to receive the money from by being in the, in the priestly line of Levi. And he was making money on every angle, on every transaction. He didn't take orders from anyone. He told them what to do. And he was a franchise that he was on a trade route, Matthew was, that when they came up from Egypt, these caravans, he would get every single one of them. Can you imagine the money that would be opportunistic that came through? And these caravans would just take a breath away. But friends, I want you to see he was number seven on the list. Why is that important? Because Jesus changes people. The man who called his own shots, who dug deep in the very uh, ethnic people, the Jews that he knew, knew that there was no doubt now in, in Levi, Matthew Levi's heart, to play any position or assume any role that God had for him. God, you want me to play tackle at 160 pounds against a 350 pound defensive back or defensive tackle? Great, put me in, coach, wherever you want me. God, you want me to go share the gospel with those people at the lunch table that no one else talks to? All right, God, I'll go talk to them, even if they smell a little funny. I'll go for your glory, God, because that's what you called me to do. Wherever you want me to go, God, that's where I'm at. He wasn't first anymore. Matthew, Levi, changed. What's the lesson takeaway here? And I, It's better to be number seven on the list of heaven than number one on the list into hell, if I may use those words. May it be that we love Christ so much, that we see our salvation so high, that we also see ourselves so low, that, God, wherever you want me to go, that's where I want to go. God, whomever you want me to talk to, whatever you want me to study, Lord, whatever job you want me to take, whatever experience you want me to go through, Lord, it's worth it because you have given your all for me. God, I'm number seven. That's, that's a lot better than number eight, I guess. That wasn't his attitude, but you can imagine what it was. Christians, I think this is a great reminder also for us to avoid hero worship of pastors, of teachers, of, uh, of Christian authors, because everyone God uses is a jerk and a sinner. Would you agree with that? I don't think we have to code it any other way. We all deserve the worst, but God gave us the best. And this is a miracle of grace. God takes people who are pushing their way to the top of the world. But once you are saved, you are no more taking big shots. You say to the Lord, if we have any big shots, Lord, you're the one that's going to take them. Father, I am just a jerk for Jesus, but I know that by grace I've been saved by Jesus. The ground is level at the cross. There's no showboating. There's no, woo, look at me. I scored a touchdown. Go Jesus and me. God, did you see that Facebook post I posted about you? Man, that went viral the other day. Thank me, Lord, because you, without me, they wouldn't have known about you. Friends, it is a humbling thing, isn't it, to remember that God saved us. Does this mean that you have no worth? No. Don't believe the culture. You have great worth. You have the worth that is in Christ, the greatest riches that have ever been told. Does this mean that that you are second class? No, actually, we're going to be judging the heavens, the Bible tells us, with Christ. But it's all about Christ, or it's all about nothing. And so what we need to remember here is that if you come to Christ, you must come after Christ. If you come to Christ, you must come after Christ. Have you come to the point where God has placed you in the body of Christ to humbly thank Him for what He has done in your life? There was an old story about Billy Bray, and he's a great Christian missionary. Uh, who was a Cornish miner in England who accepted Jesus as a Savior at age 29 in 1823. They don't make suits like that anymore, I can tell you. He lived a life of drunkenness so bad and debauchery so bad that he became a, such an outgoing witness that he became known as God's glad man as it became known. And one time, the story goes, he was digging potatoes from his garden and he felt the devil oppressing him. And it seemed to him that the devil was saying to him, Billy Bray, God doesn't love you. Billy Bray, if he did, he wouldn't give you such a puny potato and so few, Billy. Look at your neighbor. He's got a lot better potatoes than you do. But Billy didn't listen to the devil's temptation, he said. He talked back to him and he said, I served you long and true, devil. And no better servant can a master ever have than I was to you. But when I served you, you didn't give me any potatoes. When I served you, you didn't give me any good for my efforts. And Billy Bray reminded himself daily when he ate those potatoes that the burden he had serving Christ was lighter than the one he had serving the devil. And Billy Bray once said, I'd rather be in hell with Jesus than in heaven without Jesus. For hell with Jesus would seem just like heaven to me and heaven without Jesus would seem just like hell to me. God give us more Billy Brays. Friend, if you're here today, When Matthew, Levi was changed from Levi to Matthew in salvation, his life changed to one of great submission. What is it in your life that God's been pricking at you saying, do this for me, change this for me, do this for my glory, talk to this person, pray for this person, go here, go there, whatever it is. What is it that your pride has welled up in to say, I'm not going to do, no, Lord, not them. No, Lord, not that. No, Lord, not me. Would you pray for wisdom? God has changed your soul. And the last thing I want you to see in this change as we close, not only did Matthew have salvation and submission, but finally he had silence. How many of you all would kill for some silence in your house every now and then? Amen. Uh, I am not, I'll. I, you know, I'll just say this. We live four miles from Dance O Festivia or whatever it is. It's a big party down by La Bennett State Park uh, at 291 in Sugar Creek. They have been partying since Thursday night at 11 o'clock, let me tell you. And we are killing for some silence. So if you have any noisemakers, you want to go down and like fling them with me to add to the noise, I, whatever. But we are killing for some silence. Our, our window shades were rattling all last night. boom, 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 boom. boom. We're five miles from them, by the way, just so you know. Over the Missouri River, we kill for silence. But sometimes silence doesn't just come because we're sick of something. Silence comes because what God has done in our lives. Do you know that in Matthew, as far as we know, once he was saved, he never spoke a word again in the Gospels that's recorded. That's remarkable because, guys, he wrote the longest gospel in the whole Bible. Mark is 16 chapters, Luke is 24, John is 21, but Matthew, a Jew writing to fellow Jews, wrote a a book of 28 chapters. Not in his own words, mind you, but the testimony of others that he saw and, and, and recorded. It's remarkable. He's never shared anything about a question. He's never asked for a comment. He never appears in an incident. He never stumbles over his words, for, as far as we know in the Scriptures, like Philip and Peter. He never calls down fire from heaven. He never does any of that. Born out of his salvation, born out of his submission, is this unworthiness, but the gratefulness to be converted by the grace of God. Now he's humbled. Matthew is. He's quiet. And the implication is he can assume that he was previously a loudmouth and an expert in all things. You're not that person, are you? Have you ever met someone who could argue better than yourself? Then you might have been Matthew Levi. By God's grace, we can afford to be overlooked and underappreciated and be quiet about it. That's hard, isn't it? I can pull out my phone right here, and you can see it. I can pull out to the main screen here, and within any given second, I can communicate on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Messenger. Inst- I said Instagram. I don't do Snapchat. Sorry, that's just weird to me. All those sorts of email right here with all the list of all the things to say, anything I want to say, pretty much at any time I want to say it. But Matthew didn't do that. Matthew knew that the only thing he could speak about was, I was a sinner, I was lost, but now I am found. And he let his book do all the talking for him. Friends, sometimes it is better to be overlooked and underappreciated than to be loud about something that God has not called us to. Some of the greatest ministry that God may call you to is the ministry of silence, the ministry of prayer when no one else knows about it, the ministry of, uh, uh, of doing a good deed for the Lord when no one else sees it, the ministry of having that heart-to-heart talk with someone, they come to your house and it doesn't become a Facebook post saying, hey, you know, I had Joe Bob, I'll tag Joe Bob in there. Joe, I don't know where Joe Bob came from today, by the way. Uh, if you're Joe Bob, I apologize, but um, you tag Joe Bob on social media. You know, Joe Bob came to my house today. We had the best talk to talk and they, they, they just want to say thank you so much to me. And I put that on my Facebook and get a thousand likes. That's not what Matthew Levi did. He was content to be underappreciated, overlooked, and to be quiet, just serving God faithfully wherever God called. It doesn't mean he didn't talk. He wasn't sworn to silence. That's just, that's odd. But what he did mean is that he was just okay with where God had called him. He was humbled. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Think of the richest person you know coming to Jesus Christ and just throwing it all back and saying, I want nothing of it. Wouldn't that be a change? be a monumental change so much that it would be there. He said, I've spent my entire life running my mouth and posing myself to be an expert. And now that I'm saved, I now realize I've been wrong my entire life. I just need to shut up, sit down and listen up. And that's the very foundation of my life. Friends, you remember Job ran his mouth for a long time. Remember that story? Job ran his mouth for chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. And if you were in your small group with Job, you would have to listen to him cry and whine. You'd have to burp him at the end of the Bible study and say, that's okay, baby, I see you there. Complain, complain, complain. And not saying anything Job went through would not make us say the same things. But he had no sense of victory, trust in the Lord, and an elevated life, even as he was talking and not sinning, as the Scripture affirms. But in Job 38, one of the longest places in the Bible where God speaks, he says, do you know this? Do you know that? Job, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did that? It was meant to be overwhelming. It was meant to intimidate Job, Job 38. And Job had to answer one question. And after 70 questions at his bar exam, he has no right to come before God. In fact, Job chapter 40, verse 3 says this. Job answered, you are God and I am stupid. I will never do that again. And the Bible says he does this. He covers his mouth because he was treading in areas where God had not given him wisdom. Job, the expert, is finally silenced. Can you relate to this? You know, I have not seen a prediction yet, but Pat Robertson, please do not listen to Pat Robertson with respect. And I mean that, and I call his name out. Pat Robertson has predicted several times over the years that hurricanes this and hurricanes that, friends. Pat Robertson can't speak for God in those days. Those are things of the Lord. Be very discerning. Be very careful. But can you relate to people? They might be a TV preacher. Might be the pastor. I I can stick my foot in my mouth more than I need to know. We just need to be faithful. Speak the words of the Lord and move on. Because you see, we who follow Jesus conquer, and Amy put this up there, by service, we prevail by humility, we prophesy by truth, we rise by lowliness, and we influence by quietness. Darren, well, didn't you encourage us a few weeks ago with Peter to be bold and, and speak the word of God? Absolutely. But friends, in all things, there's a temperament, isn't there? He who would withdraw to, play, we read in, in Luke or, or Mark earlier, it said that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Prayerful quietness before God is essential to public impact. May our words and our, our thoughts be pleasing in the, in the sight of our Lord. The most pro- politically relevant thing we can do right now is guard our own quietness and our heart before the Lord, ready to do His will, no matter where it comes. It reminds me of the old story, and you've seen this before. Aesop's Fables, parents, you ever read those to your kids, Aesop's Fables, there's a donkey walking through the woods one day. Heard the story before? There's a donkey walking through the woods one day, and he finds the skin of a lion. The hunters had killed the lion and left the skin to dry in the sun, and however this works in fiction land, the donkey puts on the lion's skin and was delighted to discover that all the animals were terrified of him and ran away when he appeared. Oh, but there was a problem, wasn't there? Rejoicing that he found the new respect, he prayed for happiness. And what happened at that point? He gave himself away. And the moral of the fable was clear. Fine clothes may disguise, but silly words will disclose a fool. Friends, how much so in the Christian life? Listen, I have taken a break, and many of you have noticed this. You know, I love Facebook, been on there since September 2005. It's a badge of honor. We were on Facebook before it was public available. You had to be in college to be on Facebook. Some of you all remember that, right? You had to be at college, and that had to be verified. We got signed up in September 2005. I have taken a break recently from social media because I've had to check my own heart and say, Lord, am I just putting this out there because I want to encourage people, or is it for me, or is it to to make a point? What is the motivation in my heart? I'm just saying that to you to say. As I've studied the scripture and looked, Lord, I need to be quiet in some areas. That's one area I need to be quiet in. To use everything for God's glory, Darren, yes. Friends, I've shared on Facebook, you've shared on social media, those on it, the gospel of God. Let it be true, let it be so. But there are times and seasons where God calls us to be quiet before him. And I challenge you, there's an app out there. I've been surprised how many hours I spend on social media outside of God's word. Letting social media dictate my, my life, not God's word. I confess that to you. Praise God for people who look and say, Darren, what are you doing? Thank God for that. Do you need some Matthew in your life today? Do you need to remember that no matter what comes in your life that you've been saved, brought back, you've been saved, you've now submitted, but now maybe in some areas of your life, you need to tone it down and say, God, you lead me, I'll speak. You direct me, I'll go. Father, don't let my will be done. Let thy will be done. If you've messed up in that area, aren't you grateful today that God's grace abounds or sin abounded all the more? If you're here today, there's not one sin that God cannot forgive, not take you past. There's not one sin that he can't grow you from. Church, that's something to be grateful for today. If you're not a Christian here today, let me just tell you that God loved you so much that while you were yet a sinner, he died for you. That is the gospel message. Guys, be encouraged today. If God can use rich, pompous, Matthew, who had it all figured out, and then quiet him not to be a lesser, but to be an impact. You want to know the book of Matthew was read more than any other in the first four centuries from historians that we know. What an impact he had. I don't know what it is in your life where God may speak to you in that, but may you pray for wisdom. God, where is it in my life that I need to quietly submit to you, but boldly trust you with the outcome? Let's go before the Lord today. Father God, we thank you so much for the gospel of your son. Father, may we not walk around as silly as it is and trying to put on the skin of another. May we be content, Lord, with where you've called us, how you've called us, to whom you've called us, Lord, and to the makeup of our calling, Lord. Father, I thank you so much for these disciples, Lord, that, Lord, there there is change. There is fruit, life change that we see. And we know Matthew, Father's tradition, he went different places and preached the gospel, Lord. We trust all that to you. But, Lord, we thank you that he wrote the biggest gospel, 28 chapters to speak of your glory. Father, I don't know what it is in here in our lives that each of us need to submit to you in our salvation to be quiet before Lord, not quiet in sharing the gospel, not quiet in praying or quiet in worshiping necessarily, but, Lord, just to say, Lord, this is all my life to you, not just 97 or 72% or whatever it is. Lord, thank you that the gospel is 100% salvation. You don't lose one, that when you call us, you save us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, Father, forgive us if we've fallen flat of this promise. But so grateful we are that while you called us to salvation, you continue to call us back to repentance, to growth, to sanctification, to be set apart like Christ. Father, I pray for our church in this as well. I pray that, that, that we don't make our own kingdom here at Tower View. And I don't perceive that we are trying to. But, Lord, guard us from that. Pray for other churches, Lord. It's not about the name of the church or the pastors who are there, even the church members who are there. It's about Christ. That your name above all names would be lifted high. Father, that's so easy to pray. It's so hard as it grates against our flesh and pride to live out. By your strength, Lord, grant us this week. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this all in his name, Jesus' name.